0: What's going on, everyone, and welcome into to this edition of b shafe Daily Live. As tonight, we're breaking down a Cardinals loss. It is Monday, April 24th, 2023, as Alex Cobb, this is the Alex Cobb game. I believe they sent him the broadcast, the first shutout of his Major League career. So that's nice. Good for him. Uh, he goes a perfect, well, not perfect, but he goes nine, and it felt perfect enough if you were a Giants fan, as San Francisco gets the win, over the Cardinals. Welcome into the stream. Appreciate you guys if you're joining me here on YouTube Live. If you're listening back on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts, welcome in. I'm sorry the circumstances are not better, as tonight we're talking about a Cardinals loss. Make sure you give the stream a like and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't done so already. Let's talk about this game, though, and get your comments in. I will scroll back to the very tip-top of the comments section after I give a little bit of a, a couple thoughts on this game. Jordan Montgomery, it looked like Things were going to be an epic disaster for Monty tonight as he started out with, what, 31 pitches there in the first inning? Uh, I thought this could be a long one. If he gets through five, that would be a win for him. But, man, he really settled down. And we talk about the Cardinals being a pitch-to-contact starting rotation for the most part, but there is one guy. Well, you can see it from Jack Flaherty, too. He had nine strikeouts yesterday. But Jordan Montgomery is kind of the other one that he can get it going as well. And I believe he ends the night tonight with six strikeouts. And it would have been six innings, strong innings, beautiful innings from Jordan Montgomery where, despite throwing over 30 pitches in the first, he would have had that quality start, which he still did get a quality start, but it would have been unblemished, right? The blemish comes in the seventh inning with the error made by Tommy Edmond on a play that I would reckon Tommy Edmond makes that play I, 999 times out of 1,000. Like That was the most routine of routine ground balls. And I didn't disagree with Ollie Marble's decision to leave Jordan Montgomery in. Like, that's exactly what you want there. You get to face the lefty, and then you know for the right-handed batter, uh, Drew Verhagen's going to come into the game. Perfect setup. It should have been one out in the inning. He got the easy ground ball, and Tommy Edmund boots it. Just inexplicably so. We can talk about the decision to have him at second base tonight with Paul DeYoung at shortstop. That's maybe one that uh, you could question a little bit. Because it seemed like in spring training, the way the Cardinals were billing this Paul DeYoung rebound season was that he was going to be the utility guy, right? He was going to be the guy that they were going to move him around when he did get in the lineup because you don't want to disturb the rhythm and the timing of the everyday players at their normal position. And Tommy Edmond has been the Cardinals' everyday shortstop. There has been no doubt about this. I know there are some folks on Twitter who would say, well, I don't think his arm is suitable to shortstop. He doesn't have enough of an arm to play there. I really haven't seen it that way. I think he's a fine shortstop, uh, one of the better shortstops in the game. If maybe his arm is not his strong suit at short, I think his range is tremendous. His instincts are really strong. I like Tommy Edmund as a shortstop defensively. I also think Paul Young is a good shortstop, but that's not really the point. Is it the point? had been, yeah, before the injury and he was dealing with the back stuff, the Cardinals had sort of billed him as like the Taylor Motter role. What did we see Motter do for the Cardinals, but play a few different spots and fill in as needed. But in the second game of his presence with the Cardinals this season, what did the Cardinals do? They put Paul Young at shortstop, uh, which was fine on Sunday because Tommy Edmond got a day off. He didn't play. So naturally, Paul Young would be the shortstop fill-in. However... Another day goes by. I totally agree with keeping DeYoung in the lineup. I said last night on b Shafe Daily that he would probably be back in there today after the 3 for 4 with a home run on Sunday. However, it's interesting, isn't it, that they keep him at shortstop and they move Tommy Edmund to second base. Here's my theory on this and let me know what you think. And like the stream if you haven't done so. It's great. I'm surprised we have so many people in here tonight, to be honest with you, because it's 11 o'clock, and it was an absolutely rotten game for the Cardinals. But you guys want to get your thoughts in, and so that's freaking awesome. Like the uh, the stream and subscribe if you'd be so kind. It helps me out a lot if you do so. All right. Here's my theory on the Cardinals playing Tommy Eben at second base tonight. I think it's a case of DeYoung looked good at the plate yesterday they know that sometimes it's a momentum thing with him and it's, it's trying to catch lightning in a bottle and keep it there. And to do that, maybe you just try to make Paul Young as absolutely comfortable as possible. You leave him at shortstop and they probably have a higher opinion of the mental fortitude and the adaptability and the, the ability to adjust for Tommy Edmond compared to Paul Young. So They say, eh, it's probably not going to be a problem at all. Let's go ahead and put Tommy back at second base where he's a former gold glover. That's the way to do this so that we can keep the young comfortable. Maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. Maybe I'm reading too much into the decision. At the end of the day, you're a manager of the Cardinals or of any team, and you've got to put the guys in certain positions, and, and this is just the way they chose it. Maybe it wasn't that deep. But when a little error like that happens, we're going to look into it a little further and go, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, Again, Tommy Edmund is a Gold Glove second baseman, but he's been mostly playing shortstop so far this year. And so you wonder if that's just a situation where he just hasn't seen as many ground balls at that spot, or is it truly just a one in a thousand type of fluke and we shouldn't talk about it that much. Uh, But it sure hurt the Cardinals in that spot, and it definitely hurt Jordan Montgomery. I cannot believe that Jordan Montgomery is charged with a loss in this game. It is absolutely insane. He gives up one unearned run. He's not on the mound when it scores and he ends up getting charged with the loss. That is a – maybe that's just the baseball rule. I don't know. But if the official scorer has any soul and has the ability to change it, which I don't think they do because that was his run technically given up by Verhagen, but it was it was Monty's run, unearned as it may have been. But if you had any ability to kind of fudge the numbers there – that's a loss that Drew Verhagen should take, uh, or Tommy Edmund, if you can charge a position player with a loss. But, of course, Drew Verhagen is the one that gives up the uh, the home run to J.D. Davis, and that was kind of all she wrote. Good to see the double from Lars Nootbaar there in the next inning, but let's be honest, the Cardinals were not scoring four runs at that point. And you look at the fact that they get shut out, and it's a complete game shut out by Alex Cobb, just one pitcher. You go, well, it's not really Tommy Edmund that costs the Cardinals the game. It's not really Drew Verhagen that cost the Cardinals the game. And it's certainly not Jordan Montgomery that did so. It's the offense. They don't score any runs. 4-0, you cannot win if you don't score, has been one of my favorite adages over the past couple of years talking about the Cardinals doing this podcast. And it remains true tonight. So 4-0 Giants win. Very disappointing outing uh, for the Cardinals. But, hey, Kyle lowers his ERA to 1.91. So are we tipping our caps tonight? How do Cardinals fans feel let me know in the comment section. I'm about to dive in uh, because I've I've droned on for long enough. I want to see what you guys have to say as we react to this one. Uh, there's more people in the stream than people that have liked the, the stream, so give me a like. I appreciate it. It helps me out, and it boosts my ego. All right, let's see. Hunter says it's here. Caleb's in here. Uh, the Cardinals are taking the mid in Midwest way too seriously for my liking. Yeah, they're kind of mid right now. Uh, the record isn't even mid, though. The record is five below. 500 is their nine and 14 on the season. Uh, but yeah, it, it feels like a mid team. And I labeled the stream this way because I want to answer this question tonight. What is the identity of the St. Louis Cardinals right now? And are they having somewhat of an identity crisis? Because when I look at what this team's identity over the past few years typically is, and you expect excellence out of the Cardinals and the Cardinal way and all of those wonderful things, their identity I think is, is kind of lacking right now, right? We know that they have a quality offense and coming into the day, I looked this up. They were like fourth in MLB in batting average. OPS was up there in the top five. Uh, I don't know where runs scored was, but they, they're scoring runs, and their offense is pretty good generally. But it's kind of the similar identity offensively that it has been in recent years where they're going to have these kinds of nights. They're going to lay up some goose eggs. They're going to score one or two runs, and you're going to go, wow, this was really a, a low low performance by the offense. doesn't matter what the pitching did. You can't win if you don't score. But then I look at the pitching side of things, and I think the starting pitching is starting to trend in a better direction. Um, but it's still not elite, right, by any means. And you look at the ERAs across the board, and I think people would hesitate, and maybe rightfully so, to call it even a strength at this point when referring to the starting pitching. I think the the, the relief pitching and the bullpen can be very good. Jordan Hicks, how about him tonight uh, when he's locating and and working the sinker in the strike zone? He is fantastic, and this is why the Cardinals were reluctant to DFAM, as a lot of people wanted. Uh, They couldn't send him down without him agreeing to go work on things in Memphis. I was skeptical at first that it could work out for Jordan Hicks to get it back at the big league level because, let's be honest, how often during a a week of baseball do you have games where it's a five-run blowout in either direction to allow Jordan Hicks to pitch? Well, sure enough, Monday and Tuesday of last week, it happened two days in a row and he started looking good. He continued that tonight. The, the sinker is in the zone and it plays. And when he's dealing with that, the slider is one of the best pitches that anybody in baseball has. It's his best pitch, the slider. It, it, for a guy who throws 102, you'd think, wow, that's probably his best pitch. Nope. To me, it's the slider and the way it plays off the sinker. It's absolutely devastating. And you saw that in the final at-bat uh, that he had tonight. I think he threw three sliders out of the zone, but all three were strikes because the guy swung at him. So a positive from the bullpen that Jordan Hicks appears to be back and I think he will be working his way back in toward uh, some leverage situations as Ollie Marmol dips his toes into that water in the days and weeks to come. But you look at the bullpen in general and think it's pretty good. Obviously, for Hagan, I was really high on him to start the season. I looked like a genius, and he's had a couple of outings in a row now that have been more dud-like in nature. But I, I still think the bullpen in general can be a strong suit. But is it so strong that you go, that's part of the core identity of the Cardinals right now? I don't know that I would go that far. And so you're kind of – in defense, holy Almost said a bad word there. The defense, guys, what is going on with the identity of the Cardinals defensively? First of all, the Edmund error at second, I would say, is, is more of a one-off. I don't think that's, like, something significant to worry about. But primarily, I think about the outfield defense. And you saw a ball early on in this game that Alec Burleson was not able to get to and sort of Three Stooges act going on in right center field as the center fielder and Burleson collided on this ball and got it back into the infield. Let's be honest. When you have Burleson in a corner spot, and most nights you'll have Walker maybe in the other corner spot, the, the outfield range is not great. And and Dylan Carlson is the team's best defender center, uh, defensive center fielder, but he can't hit. And so you're seeing him not play most nights, which leaves Newt Barr, who's going to be in the outfield uh, pretty much every game, to roam center field. And he's fine, but he's not – I wouldn't even say he's an above-average center fielder at this point. Uh, has the instincts to work on, I would say. The athleticism is there, but he's 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 not naturally just a, a superstar defensively in center. And so the outfield is not a real strength for the Cardinals defensively, and you're talking about recent years. Guys like Tyler O'Neill, gold glove caliber, Harrison Bader, gold glove caliber. I would say that Dylan Carlson, if he hit enough to justify playing every day in center, would be a gold glove caliber center field when it's all said and done. They don't have that sort of outfield alignment right now, and so there is an element of their identity that is lacking. The base running, I don't think, by and large, has been strong. I think aggressiveness is the way to maybe push the envelope there and get it back, but we've seen some mistakes made due to aggression and other things uh, from the Cardinals on a base running front. So what is the identity of this team right now? I don't think there's a very easy answer to that, and I think that's part of the issue. And uh, one element of their identity in a very negative way is the fact that after tonight, they have still not won a series opening game all season. And Ollie Marmel, after the last one, said that's not a problem. That's not something that we really look at. Uh, Out in Seattle, that was his commentary. When do the Cardinals start looking at it? Because I'm just doing the quick math, and you're not going to win very many series if you spot the other team the first game of it every single time. So that's a little bit of a concern. Uh, Thank you guys for joining me. Like the stream. Subscribe to the channel. Cardinals content coming here all season long. Uh, Let's scroll in. Hunter's glad for the uh, therapy session. Uh, Patrick says, ah, S. There we go again. I'll keep it PG-13 for as long as I can, but if we're watching this kind of baseball all year, it could be an issue. Uh, What was the game plan for Cobb? I think Cobb's game plan was to throw a lot of strikes, make a lot of outs, and dispose of the Cardinals on minimal pitches. That's part of it, too. Like, when we talk about identity offensively, the Cardinals, I think the way they would describe what they try to do as an offense is be aggressive within the strike zone, right? Within the zone, within the strikes that are thrown, when it's your pitch to hit, be aggressive on those pitches and then be selective or lay off of the pitches that are not in the strike zone so that you can can gain an advantage over the, the opposition. I don't know how effectively day in and day out they have been um, pursuing that identity offensively. I would say there are times where uh, it doesn't really come out that way. And you also, there, you, there, there is a part of it that you want to work counts when you're doing that. But like, for instance, on the bases loaded at bat by Lars Newbar when he he grounded out weakly to the left side on the first pitch, I don't think that pitch was a strike. And it it certainly wasn't a hittable pitch. It wasn't a drivable pitch by Lars Neupar. So that goes back to the question there of what is the uh, what is the game plan? Going into a game against Alex Cobb, well, I don't know, but I don't think they executed it very effectively tonight. Um, and and that's just one example, right? You you think of all the moments that happened throughout a game, uh, the, the bunt by Burleson later on, newtbar was showing bunt. Uh, I don't really understand. I get it. There's a there's a left side vacated of the infield, and so they want to keep you honest. But the shift is already out of the game. It's still it's a modified shift, but the advantage of that bunt play is lesser and lesser, especially in an era of no shift, two infielders on either side of second. So I just don't really get the Bunt thing. Uh, there might be a very limited number of players on this roster that could execute it. I don't think it needs to have the prominence of, and there may have been some that I missed watching at home. At least twice tonight they showed Bunt. Once they put it into play for an out, it's an, it's a surrender. It's an automatic out. You're not very often going to execute that play. Uh, a guy like Alec Burleson is certainly not in the lineup for his defense. He's in the lineup because he can drive the baseball and he bunted. So, I mean, I don't really understand the, the thought process behind that. But I get it. And that's then we get to the question by 618 Garage, you think Ollie is part of the issue. I don't. That's what's wild is I look at all of the moves that are made and some of the things I disagree with, and we're going to talk about them. And keep in mind, it's a very results-oriented business when we're on here on YouTube after a game talking about the things that went wrong. It, it, I'm oftentimes going to be talking about decisions that were made. I don't think Ollie Marmel's decision making was all that bad. Like, find the spot. You know, I don't, I would not have had Tommy Edmond at second. I'd put him at short, and I would say to Young, if you're going to thrive on this team, you have to be the utility guy because that's the role you're playing. We cannot placate uh, and put you at shortstop because you're not the starting shortstop on a daily basis. That's Tommy Edmond. So we're going to cater to the starter and leave him there. That being said, there are some who would say that Paul De Young is just a better defensive shortstop than Edmond, which I think you know, you could maybe make the case for. But at the same time, I would prefer if you're going to uh, allow Edmund to be the everyday shortstop in general, he's going to play more often than Paul DeYoung. I would prefer him being the guy that gets to stay put. And you have to get the mental fortitude if you're Paul DeYoung to be the utility guy because he took Taylor Motter's spot. That's the roster spot he took. I figured he was going to be utility when he came in. Um, but do the Cardinals trust him to have that mental capacity to, to focus on the improvements that he wants to make at the plate while simultaneously being asked to play different positions? I don't know. Uh, or if, it, if it's just a case of they're, they're saying he's a better defensive shortstop. And maybe Ollie in the postgame uh, addressed that comment. I have no idea if he did. Uh, I'm here with you guys. But I, I just think that's a, a little bit of a weird one. But that's not like a game-changing play. I, I recognize that you you haven't changed the game because Tommy makes an error. But that is not something you expect to happen regularly from a guy who won a gold glove at second base in his past that is not the reason the Cardinals lost the game. So you might say I disagree with that decision by Ali Marvel, but I also don't say that that's the reason that we're here talking about a 4-0 loss. No, a lot of other things happened. I look at other elements like, okay, you, I know it's popular to blame him, any manager that is for bullpen management, but like Drew VerHagen's the guy that would come into that spot, I, I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't go the Cardinals' way. Like, that's early enough in the game where I guess you could say, and and I don't really recall who pitched yesterday. I think Gallegos came in, so he wouldn't have been available. You're not going to go to Helsley that early. Like, it is what it is on the Verhagen decision. He's in your bullpen. You need your bullpen guys to get out. So I don't think that's, like, a crazy issue. Um, and Ollie didn't step into the batter's box tonight. So I don't know that, again, I'm looking at this as a manager thing. It is so popular. It's the favorite trope of baseball fans to point to the manager, and there are things that are, that are happening that I think are – you know, not always perfect from his perspective. I also think he didn't build the roster and he's just trying to match the puzzle pieces up to the spots. And there are certain things about this team when it comes to identity that I think should be more of a focus on the conversation when you say, all right, we're an identity of a team that wants to uh, be aggressive as an offense. And and we're going to prioritize that by having guys like Alec Burleson play a corner outfield spot when we would have a better defense if we had other guys uh, in, in the corners. Right, If we had a Dylan Carlson in center and a new Bar in right, that would make them better defensively for sure. But what are you sacrificing at the plate? Well, fair question, but they went the direction of go out for more offense and guess how many runs they scored today. They didn't. So those aren't necessarily all the problems. That's like, all right, you, you have one problem, and so you're trying to solve it by, by managing to that, but then another problem is created. Uh, Brandon Kiley of 101 tweeted out mentioning the whack-a-mole theory of like one problem pops up, and then you you work to cover that, and then the next day it's two more problems that you go, oh, crap, now that's the, the, the mitigating effect from the decision we made yesterday. Now this is happening. How do we fix this? That's where the identity problem is, and over the last couple of days with b Daily, I have made uh, the, the phrase, if I can remember on, on fly, that the Cardinals are not elite enough in any one area with the way they're performing right now to make up for the deficiencies in the other areas. They don't have that one aspect of the club that's going to carry you. I think the offense needs to be that thing with the way they're constructed, the way they are prioritizing certain guys, certain matchups, certain platoons. They are doing a lot. They're carrying a lot of weight toward making it be a top five offense or better, but they're already a top five offense. If you look at things like OPS and and batting average and, and different stats, I'm sure weighted runs created plus if you're an advanced stat kind of person that would probably back you up there too. They've been pretty good to begin the season. So they're five games below 500 and they've been pretty good offensively. What what room is there to move upward as an offense? Hopefully there is some because that's the thing they need to be anchored around it seems to me. But there may be only uh, so much upward mobility for this offense to get better and then when you have that realization you go well that's going to put onus on the pitching staff to do a little bit more, but their identity is as an offense and they can't, you can see the problems just kind of forming. And it feels like uh, to to use another metaphor, you're in the boat that springs a leak and then you cover that one up with some flex seal or something. And then you notice on the other side, there there's a leak over there too. And it's like, I don't think this is a Cardinals team that's drowning at this point because for as much as people hate to hear, it, it is still April. So there's time for it to get better. But, like, you look at the structural integrity of this boat, and you go, I don't know. There are some holes with this team, and I, I don't know how big the role of flex seal tape is in terms of this offense is just going to outslug everybody because tonight they didn't. So what is the identity? What is the thing that's going to carry this team over the top to change what we have seen so far? That's kind of my question, and right now I do not have a good answer for it, and I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, Brent says, only a matter of time before the national outlets' big podcasts start calling us, meaning the Cardinals, the biggest disappointment of the season. Yeah, I mean, to start off the first three, four weeks, whatever it's been, it would be the Cardinals, the way they're playing right now. Uh, and I think it's identity. That is the word I keep circling on my on my little uh, Rolodex, that I just feel like something's got to give in terms of what this team wants to be. How do you want to be identified um, and, and then match your roster, match your lineups, match your, the, your style of play to that identity? Uh, the Cardinals have been a, a franchise that I feel like over the past, you know, you could say – Five years, 10 years, decades has been really good about identity, knowing the cardinal way, knowing that that's the way they want to win. Right now, I don't. I think they're caught in between a few different identities, and it's not meshing. It's not working on the field. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. Give the stream a like. I love the number of likes we're getting. It shows me that, hey, at even 1130 p.m. Central, it's worth it to do these uh, live streams with you guys because you are so great about uh, getting involved with the comments. So I'm going to head right back to the comment board. Uh, but But if you're still here and haven't liked it, Please help me out and give it a like. That'd be sick. Uh, Allison, how do they keep the fans interested? With this start, I feel like they're starting to lose some interest uh, the way they're playing. Yeah, you know, that is a fair question. And you look at April attendance at Busch Stadium, it's always going to be a struggle on on weekdays. I've noticed this. I've covered the Cardinals since 2016 uh, is when I started for KMOV. And I've noticed this the entire time where if you go weekday in April, it's just, you know, there are going to be some empty seats. They'll say 40,000, but there's not 40,000 there. Like it's just the nature. I, I don't think it's a Cardinals exclusive thing. I think it's just you know the, the the nature of school night and families and there's a lot to do and and there is an element of this though that the Cardinals, if they're not playing well, people are going to be a little bit apathetic about things. And I, I totally think that is, uh, real for uh for an April the, the way they have played. I I feel like though fans are still going to be interested, um because it it's a tradition in St. Louis. Uh, people are used to seeing success from the Cardinals, and so there's going to be that run. I think there's going to be that run at some point where they rattle off a few wins in a row, and then it's like, okay, we're getting the vibes going into the summer, and things are going to be good. But like I said, this they're they're early. It's early, but it's far enough into the season where you can't take for granted that that run is going to be automatic because if it were automatic, it probably would have happened by now. No, it's going to be man-made. It is going to be something that they're going to have to forge By, to me, figuring out what that identity is and and making it appear on the field. It's not going to happen by magic. Uh, I loved the quote from Paul Goldschmidt the other day, and I had left the clubhouse before it, but I saw that Katie and Jeff Jones, Katie Wu and Jeff Jones were still down there kind of waiting out Paul Goldschmidt after one of the tough losses last week. And uh, Jeff put on his Twitter account uh, the next day uh, a quotation from Goldschmidt that basically said, you know, Yes, it's early, but also a baseball season is very fair. It's a very fair game. And at the end of the 162 games, our record is going to tell us what kind of team we are. So even though we have confidence in the clubhouse, I'm paraphrasing all of this, uh, but you can scroll back on uh, Jeff Jones's Twitter feed if you wanted to read it exactly. But we have confidence in the room that we are better than this and that we're going to get it back. But there will come a point where the proof will be in the pudding, essentially. And, the baseball seat, like, there won't be excuses by the end of it for the Cardinals to be able to say, well, we just had a had a few bounces go against us. No. You play for six months for a reason. You know the adage, it's a marathon, not a sprint. If that's the way the season is played out and the Cardinals end up with a losing record, and right now it has a chance to be, like, not just losing, but, like, whoa, cover your eyes, don't show your children losing. That's, like, this season could end that way. I don't think it's going to. But there are a lot of people who, who feel a little desperate about their Cardinals fandom right now who might say that it will. But the beauty of it is we're going to know. We're going to find out because it's going to play out, and then there will be no excuses. There will be no what-ifs. And to me, if the Cardinals lose 90 games, if the Cardinals have a losing record at all, I don't know what the answer is, but there will have to be some changes. Like, you cannot just look at it and go, well, we had some, some rough injuries and we had some things go against us. Like, if they lose 90 games, if they have a losing season with the, the group that they put together— That'll be on the front office to say, yeah, we messed this one up. Something has to give in a substantial way. John Moselec does not like to make change just to make change. I get that. Um, But that wouldn't be an example of what we would need to see this winter. It wouldn't be change for change's sake. It would be this was a disaster of a season with a roster that on paper looked like it should be pretty competitive. I get that there are some deficiencies with the pitching. Um, and, and they were a little hopeful, right? Remember back at winter warm-up, I, I talked about this a couple of nights ago on Be Shaved Daily. John Mozalek said, we didn't really look at the shortstop market or the starting pitching market for high-end help uh, the way maybe a lot of people thought that we should. Candidly, he said, we didn't really look in that direction, and maybe time will show six months from now that that was a strategic mistake was the phrase that he used, uh, but our hope is that that won't be the case and that we will have enough. Circle it, man. I'm circling that, especially from a starting pitching perspective, because uh, even though tonight was was that was not the issue um, from Jordan Montgomery, he was great. He looked a little bit scary at the beginning, but he really settled in. But I think that's going to be the 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 thread of this for a while because, all right, Jake Woodford's going tomorrow. Can he be the guy that can can stop this before it gets into be uh, another skid? Um, Jack Flaherty, I think, comes around. Montgomery's the guy you want in there. Is Michaelis, the guy they signed to an extension, going to be able to figure it out? His ERA right now doesn't look great, but I think he's getting better by better, little by little. So we'll see what that ends up looking like. Steven Matz is a gigantic question mark right now with the way that he has performed. Uh, and the Cardinals, I mean, they paid him for four years. So that's kind of the answer to your question about why he's in the rotation and why the rotation looks like it does. But that was... a. Uh, uh, something in the off season that a lot of Cardinals fans, I feel like we're talking about the rotation. And again, even though that's not the thing tonight, that's kind of the whack-a-mole theory, right? Where tomorrow it could be the rotation. The Cardinals might score five, but they'll lose seven to five because they don't get a great start out of one of their starters. And then you go, see now it's back to that. So it, you can't make a grand proclamation on any given night about what this team is and what their problems are, because tomorrow it might be a different set of problems. And they haven't been able to get every element of this team rowing the boat in the same direction at the same time. And so starting pitching is maybe just one element of that, but it's one to remember because it was the area that I think you most easily could have made a move. A lot of people, and we've talked about this, last night we went back and forth about Pablo Lopez. Uh, He was traded to the Twins for Luis Arrives, who's like leading the league and hitting right now. So it would have taken a pretty substantial name, I think, to be able to get Pablo Lopez in here to St. Louis and then sign to an extension. Would you have wanted to trade a Nolan Gorman in that deal? I would say, maybe at the time I might have said yes because I didn't know he was about to take the major step forward that he's done. Um, but Nolan Gorman looks like one of the top hitters on this team, and you've got him controllable now for several years. So I would say good on John Moselak to hold serve on Gorman, to, to see that through to where now you're reaping the rewards because of it. Uh, Brendan Donovan, maybe going through you know a little bit of an injured stretch uh, this past week when he was out of the lineup a few times played a great third base tonight, though. I think that is his best defensive position. Uh, the Cardinals happen to have the forever gold Glover there, and so we don't see Donovan at third a lot, but he played a really great game at third base defensively. Offensively, will the numbers pick up a little bit for him? Uh, he, he can be an average player offensively to be a valuable player overall because he is such a capable defender with versatility, and so would you have traded a Brendan Donovan for a Lopez? I think you could make the case that maybe – Uh, That would have made some sense for the Cardinals, but that being said, there's a world where Brendan Donovan hits and adds some of the power that we thought at the beginning of the year was going to be sustainable, and suddenly he's like a six or seven wins above replacement type of guy. So, like, the Cardinals were looking at all of these things, I feel like, and and I also don't know that the Marlins would have said, yes, we'll take Brendan Donovan uh, when they got Luis Arias, who's a little more proven offensively over a longer period of time. Uh, and people might say, well, the Marlins wanted an outfielder. I could see that. I don't think they wanted Tyler O'Neill. I would be surprised if they would have made a Tyler O'Neill for Pablo Lopez trade. Um, if the Marlins would have done that, I think it already would have happened. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that that would have been the case and the Cardinals would have pulled the trigger on something like that in the offseason. Dylan Carlson, I don't know if the Marlins would have wanted him. I think it would have been a very interesting uh, question from the Cardinals side because you look at him now, he's a fourth outfielder who hardly plays a defensive replacement type who they seem to have lost some faith in, or maybe it's just a product of they've got five outfielders and Dylan sort of uh, on the wrong side of the squeeze right now. But you could look at that and say, I guess we'll never know, but we do know last year when it was the Juan Soto thing, they were reluctant to move Carlson. It wasn't just Carlson. It would have been Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker and the pitching prospect whose name didn't exist because the Cardinals didn't have a McKenzie Gore in their farm system when it came to a Juan Soto deal. So again, for the folks that would say, well, Soto, they didn't they didn't want to trade Carlson for Soto. No, it wasn't that simple. Um, but they were reluctant to trade him, and we could look back at that and say, if if in July the Cardinals are moving Carlson for peanuts, or he's just kind of riding pine and, and becoming that most of the time defensive replacement in the late innings for them, and hasn't figured out the bat offensively, you could look back at it and go, man, the Cardinals may have whiffed on on selling Carlson when the value was there. So, like these are all things that we can look at and wonder about. Uh, when it comes to the, the identity of the roster, the way it's been constructed. But I don't know if there are any easy answers. And we can always play the what-if game from the past. But at the same time, it's like, how productive is that going to be? All right, back to the comments section here. Uh, Joey, Y is at a loss with the team? I'm sorry, Joey. Uh, Preston says they're the biggest disappointment, and it's a shame. I do think it's a shame, but it's like, I almost feel bad. Like, the the lineup as constructed is too good. There's too much talent in the lineup for this team to be as bad as it is. But again... Tonight was a night where that wasn't really the argument. It was the lineup that let them down tonight, so that's tough. Anon says it's a poverty team. Caleb doesn't have anything to criticize. They lost because one of the best defensive players in baseball made a mistake that snowballed something new every day. I don't think that's true, Caleb. like I get it that the inning unfolds differently, and J.D. Davis maybe doesn't get a chance for a three-run homer if Edmund doesn't make the error, but they didn't score a run tonight. They were. It could have been 14 innings the Cardinals were going to lose this game. That's the way I look at it. You have to score more consistently. If you're a team that gets shut out regularly and is regularly tipping your cap to the opposing pitcher, that's more about you than it is about them. I'll allow it every once in a while, but you can't, it can't be every night. Well, Alex Cobb just pitched great tonight. What can you do? No, you can be better than him because you're in the big leagues too. Like, it's fine if you want to be tipping your cap, but you're going to lose 90 games that way. Uh, I feel like I've said this over the last week the Cardinals need to get pissed off a little bit. I didn't see all these postgame. And so maybe for those who have seen the video of, of what he had to say, maybe he got pissed off and he flipped over a table. I'm not saying you need to do that every night either. Uh, it's not really Ollie's style. He doesn't try to do anything extra dramatic just for flair. There were times where TLR, LaRusso, would do that kind of thing on purpose or light somebody up in a postgame on purpose just to kind of get the the, the dynamic feeling a little bit differently um, and would... would basically pre-playing when he was going to do it. I don't know if that's really Ollie Marmol's style. He's pretty authentic to me. And so when he feels something, he's going to say something. But the Cardinals as a team, there's going to come the a point where you just got to get mad. You just got to get pissed off about something. The fans are certainly there already. Um, the Cardinals internally might say, hey, we feel frustrated about this as well. But we also don't want to just get into the dramatics and and, and be inauthentic to what we're feeling because we still see this through and believe that if we stay the course, it'll get better. Um, but again, you look at different elements of the identity night to night, and I don't know how you can say you're just going to snap your fingers and it will get better. I'm skeptical of that personally. Hunter says that it feels like when Molina and Pujols left, the soul left this team as well. I don't know if that's true, but I, I can't totally discount the possibility that we're talking about identity and that uh, guys like Albert and Yachty were big identity type of guys from last year's team. And you don't have them now. I think the veteran leadership is aces. I still think you've got a Goldsmith and an Arenado and a Wilson Gutierrez and an Adam Wainwright in this clubhouse, and I think that's enough. But are you are you looking for that mix maybe of, of how does this group find its identity and its role in the aftermath of some of those legends departing? Sure, I think there's, there's maybe some validity to that. And uh, Preston says, I want to watch the Cardinals because I've always loved them, but hell, at this point I'm watching NBA, NHL, golf, literally anything else. Uh, turn on disc golf, man. Something like that. Get your get your blood flowing that way. Uh, 618 says the Cubs are winning the division. I said at the beginning of the year that the Cubs were a bigger threat to the Cardinals than the Brewers. I did not realize that the Brewers, uh, from a pitching perspective, would be just as dynamite as they have been. I think that will trail off a little bit, and it has already started to. I don't think they won today unless they came back. And I will say that their offense I just don't think is very good. I don't think their lineup is that impressive. And so if they want to smoke and mirrors their way to having a productive lineup, for a month or so, fine. But will they do it for six months? I don't know. So that Cubs thing could be legitimate. I remember there were some people that scoffed at me when I said that the Bellinger signing was really good. And people said, well, that's $15 million for for a guy who, who can't hit. Well, he, he won an MVP, and I think he might be able to find a pack. Bellinger's looked pretty good for the Cubs. Uh, Mike, why is Nolan Arenado and Walker sitting on the bench two games in a row? And uh, why is DeYoung our starting shortstop? I don't think De Young will remain the Cardinals starting shortstop. I don't know why he was there tonight instead of Edmund. My guess is it's one of two things. And I've talked about this already. If you missed it earlier, it's either that Paul DeYoung is, they don't think maybe as mentally strong to be able to, to be versatile, and they're just trying to keep him comfortable. And so they'll let the guy who has won a Gold Glove at second play there, or they just they just think that's the better alignment because Paul De Young's a better shortstop. Um, I don't know if I believe that, but they might. And, and, I, and I don't, I'm not down on Paulie D as a shortstop. I think he is a good defensive shortstop. Um, but I, if I've got one guy that's going to be in there every day and I know it, I'm going to have that guy play the same position and let the other guy be known as the, the utility man, personally. Uh, Brent says the lack of an ace is apparent. Having a guy every fifth day that's your stopper and going to shove to get the team back on track. I honestly don't think that, like, it's true. They don't have an ace. They don't have a number one that has just been evident so far. I think you will find that over the course of, of six months, Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery will be your one and two stars in a playoff series, hypothetically, should you get to one. And you'll feel pretty good about both of those guys. And Jack more so, I think he's going to end up with an ace-like season. I still have faith in Flaherty. and he, To me, I know six innings, three runs, but to me, he's looked sharper every single outing that he's had to where he's going to hit that stride and is going to look like that guy. Janelle asks why the hate for DeYoung. young it's because he used to be a pretty good player. And then he's got multiple years of track record in a row where he has struggled and people are tired of it. Um, I think the hate is disproportionate to the role that he's going to have on this roster. Like if he stops hitting, he's going to stop playing and he'll be Taylor Motter's role, which was like inconsequential. It's not that big of a deal. So I think people pay too much attention to the young stuff, but since he just came back, he's a hot topic of conversation right now. Uh, Mike says that Ollie is the worst manager in baseball. He needs to light a fire under this team. I do not think that Ollie is the worst manager in baseball. I think he's actually a pretty good manager. Um, but I will say it hasn't been a great four weeks. I'm a, a totally acknowledging that. Um, but if you're coming for the Ollie slander, you're not going to really find it from me. Uh, what you will find is I will try to, to dissect every individual decision and, and be fair with those. Um, but like I said, I, don't, I didn't agree personally with Edmund at second base. I would have switched it. Um, but I don't think that's the reason the Cardinals lost. Don't don't get lost in the disproportionate criticism that doesn't cost the team a game. Look at the zero in the runs column. Uh, you can play as many innings as you want and make as few errors as you want. If you end up with zero at the end of the night, you will not win that game. I promise you that. Uh, Bird Calls says, I can't complain about Marble tonight. Left Jordan into the game into the seventh. Uh, the game turns on the error by a sure-handed fielder. Exactly. Like, Ollie did exactly what he should have done giving that out to Jordan Montgomery left on left matchup and they was gonna take him out right after that regardless of the result. It just didn't work out, man. They and they didn't score. Like it's what it is. Uh Janelle mentions that Arenado needs a day off. He's human and I totally agree. Um like I, I completely agree that that Arenado like having a day, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um and uh Janelle mentions though that De Young went two for two tonight. He did not. He went over three tonight. Um Brennan Donovan had two hits. He went two for three. So I don't know they're on Janelle's. But no, uh, DeYoung did not get any hits tonight unless I'm missing something. Uh, does see does this season seem like a letdown because of the hype and excitement? Yes. Uh, the hype and excitement of last season, Allison asked. Yes, uh, I think so. And I think the hype and excitement that was coming into this year. I thought they'd have a better offense. I thought their pitching would be Maybe a little, I was a little skeptical about it uh, from a starting perspective, but it kind of, you knew where everybody was. You came in with a healthy ish spring training from your rotation. So I was like, all right, it'll be what it is. They're going to slug their way to victory. I didn't realize the defense would struggle to the degree that I feel like it has, especially in the outfield, but that's kind of the way they're built right now. They're built to slug and to sacrifice a little bit in the corners of the outfield with the guys they're prioritizing for playing time. And so that's the way it is. The Jordan Walker thing is interesting, though. Him sitting, unless he's dealing with a minor ache and pain, which there could be an injury there. I haven't seen anything on that. And with the team on the West Coast, it's not like I'm there every day to be able to to hear every conversation uh, that happens with the media. So I don't know, but I'll say this. Like, the math was going to work against Jordan Walker at some point. If he wasn't hitting, you go, well, we've got five guys for three spots, and if if one or two of them aren't performing – it, it does get difficult to just automatically have that guy in that same group continue to play. I don't think you should send Walker down. I think you have to play him if he's going to be here. But they've got five guys, and so they're they're trying to mix and match and make it work. Um, I, I, I do think it's tricky. Who shifts the energy going forward in desperate need of a spark? That's the thing. Wilson Contreras has shifted the energy multiple times. Where's it gotten them? They still haven't gotten the wins to show for it. Lars Núñez is that kind of guy. Can be that kind of guy. They, they just haven't. I mean, Arenado can certainly be that kind of guy. He's struggling at the plate a little bit, and so you're seeing what you're seeing with him. But, yeah, I think it takes more than just one guy to say, I'm going to be the one to light the spark because that could work for a day. But you need everybody, all 26, moving in the same direction for a week to be able to get where they need to go. Nate says, if I hear Ollie say sometimes you just got to run into a guy's best stuff, one more time I'm going to jump on board the Ollie sucks bandwagon. Nate, did Ollie say that tonight about Alex Cobb? Because I assume he did, but I didn't watch it, so I don't know for sure. Stu finally got to catch me live. I'm glad you were here, Stu. I'm sorry that it took so damn long for me to get your comment, um, but I appreciate you, man. I appreciate all of you guys who have joined. Subscribe to my channel if you haven't done so. I'm still trying to build this up. It's a brand-new endeavor for me, but uh, it, it makes me feel good to know that people are bouncing on the board. It uh, feels good. Um, Patrick, I think Edmonds' era isn't a big long-term ordeal. It hurt the game, but it's not a true pattern yet. I totally agree. It's a one-off. 999 out of 1,000, he makes that play in my opinion. Uh, Janelle says defaulted for the loss on that mistake is insane. Agree. Uh, Stu says never saw the first 20-plus games going this way. Neither did I. And it's it's like the pattern is unavoidable at this point. The longer it continues, the longer you go, well, this is kind of who they are. I did say, though, give me until mid-May, and then I'll be able to go, all right, should we really be concerned? Is this a long-term issue? But I'm starting to sense the identity thing. Like, if we get to the point where we say it's an issue, it'll be because we're looking at it in mid-May and mid-June and mid-July and through the entire summer going, what is the Cardinals' identity? We still don't know. And if you don't know, that might be a sign that the struggles are going to continue until they find it. Uh, Newt has been a positive. Yeah, Newpar's been good. And remember, he missed a week or so with injury. That was just unfortunate from the opening day slide. He wears the oven mitt now, so that won't happen again. Um, But, yeah, man, Newpar's been good. Like I look at the lineup, I'll look at the box scores a little bit. I wish MLB would show me the uh, the OPSs because I care about OPS way more than batting average. But Newpar's been solid, Goldie's been solid, Gorman's been fantastic. Contreras has come on a little stronger. Uh, Burleson, I think, is, is someone you need to circle and say, should he be getting the playing time that he is getting because he is a minus in the outfield. Uh, I like the guy, but he's not a not a good rangy defender. And uh, I I think you know I understand the impetus to want to get him in the lineup against right handed pitching. Um, but if the if the batting average sags, he's not a huge power guy, so keep an eye on that. I don't think he should just be automatically in there necessarily. Uh, Tyler O'Neal, same thing. Um, defensively, he's he's a great left fielder, but is he going to be the offensive guy that they have been looking for him to be? I would say so far this year, and I will go ahead and click on his uh, expanded statistics to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. Uh, but yeah, the 683 OPS is not anything to write home about right now from Tyler O'Neal. So I, I feel like that's a spot that should come under scrutiny as well. I get it. Dylan hasn't looked good either, but I, you know, I could see a world where the Cardinals identity is stronger. If you give Dylan Carlson some run in center, and then you've got Newt Barr and Jordan Walker in the corners, that maybe should be the Cardinals outfield for a little while. Tyler O'Neill should be coming into games late. He should be pinch running every time. They should say, listen, this is not the role you envisioned for yourself, but if you're going to not start on a day, we need you to steal a base for us. Like this is how the Cardinals can build that identity out. Uh, right now, it's just kind of like they're caught in between on some of these decisions. Uh, scrolling back down here. Sorry about that, guys. Preston wants to fire everyone. I don't think they should do that. They wouldn't have anybody to field the team. That would be no good. Um, do I have advice for Ollie to get the team motivated? No, Ollie knows much more about his job than I do. Uh, but I'll say this just relentless with the energy and the aggression, I would say. Like, Sunday. Or was it Sunday? Wednesday. Wednesday against the Diamondbacks. A 14 to 5 win the Mad Bum game. I was noticing the the aggression on stolen bases was fantastic. I want to see the running game going more. I want to see it prioritized to where they're doing it effectively. But I think you need to be more aggressive as an offense, get guys in scoring position, dare the offense to continue sucking the scoring position. Like that, like it's not going to happen forever if you're a good offense. And so put continue to put runners on, continue to be relentless. Um, I would say there's not a lot of ways that the manager can impact things. Mostly the lineup and the pitchers are going to have to do it themselves. But I would say a, an aggressive mindset is a team that has, I think, more of an impetus to win. And when you're making those aggressive decisions and they start working as a team, you can sort of feed off of the energy from that. So I would say, if anything, I would say be more aggressive. Continue to be relentlessly aggressive. Um, and, and I'm talking about stealing second base. Don't do crazy stuff. Don't do like we saw with uh, you know, needlessly sending a guy home around third when he's going to get thrown out on a base hit with two outs in an inning. You don't need to do those kinds of aggressions, but I would like to see stolen bases up. The league has figured out. A lot of teams have figured out that this is a, a year to do it. The Cardinals, to me, haven't done enough of it. Attaboy, Brendan. Give him hell. Uh, I, got a, I got a little fire stew. There's still people who are going to say that I am a big homer. I'm an Ollie. I cape for Ollie. All these things. Um, but I, I, I do try to call it like I see it, so I appreciate your support there. Nate, they went 0-6 with RISP. They had opportunities to not get shut out. No one seems to have the clutch gene. That is an identity thing. They're a good offense, but if you're not good in the clutch, a lot of people would say, well, there's no such thing as clutch. It's just random. I say that you have to have that gene in you a little bit. Talked about this on the radio today on the big show, my uh, radio show I do in Columbia on KTGR with Andy Humphrey. We, we got to talking about how many free throws we could make if we walk into a gym right now to see if we can make free throws. I've done this before. Matt Rocchio, who runs the the uh, the board and produces for uh, the morning show on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, we used to do a show together, and he said I couldn't hit 70 out of 100. And I said, yes, I can. And I walked into a gym, I took a video, and I did it, uh, 71 out of 100. I got that lefty, uh, that, that shooter shoot stroke. But we were talking about it, and uh, somebody called in and said, well – in a, in a loaded gym, you couldn't do it. You couldn't go to Mizzou Arena pregame with a packed house and and shoot 70 of 100. I said, no, I'd probably make 50 out of 100. The point of this story is, runs the scoring position, game's on the line a little bit more. You do have to have that extra ability to come through. The players are going to say it's no different. I have to execute no matter when I'm batting. I say it is different. Your Your heart beats a little faster in those situations. It's human nature. So, yeah, they have to find that clutch gene. I think they can find it because I don't think it's as simple as you have it or you don't. I think it's you find the rhythm and the groove of where you feel most comfortable and confident in those moments, and that's when you you hit your stride. The Cardinals have obviously not hit their stride yet. Here's a fun question. Would you take back the Ozuna trade, but the Cardinals wouldn't make the Arenado trade? Uh, boy. That's so easy to say, but I'm going to say no. I wouldn't take it back. Here's why. Here's why. I think I have a good a good answer to this. Let's say the Cardinals don't trade Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen. Are you confident that there wouldn't have been another deal six months later that would have seen some of those guys leave the team anyway? Remember back to Sandy Alcantara's time with the Cardinals. What was he? He was the Jake Woodford of those teams, right? He hardly started when he did. He didn't do that great. He was kind of a middle reliever. They didn't have a role for him. And so they're like, eh, he's extra. He's not in our pecking order. He's not above Jack Flaherty in our pecking order. He's not above Dakota Hudson in our prospect pecking order. That proved to be a mistake. But that's the way the Cardinals thought. You can't convince me otherwise because their actions showed you that. And so, and Zach Gallen was even lower down on the list. He wasn't even really a consideration. He never pitched in the big leagues for the Cardinals. And so, do I think the Cardinals, as their front office was constructed and the way they thought and continue to think, like look at guys like Johan Oviedo last year, perfect example. He's like, well, we can't get him in the rotation because he's not doing well enough. He's not really, you know, he's kind of dealing decent in the bullpen. Maybe he's building some trade value that way. Let's trade him to a team where you know, we, we can get something that we feel more confident in, like a Jose Quintana. Okay, they did that, and he was good last year for them, but now he's gone. Johan Oviedo is now pitching with the Pirates and looking like a legit, bonafide Major League starter. He never would have turned into it with the Cardinals, because he didn't have a chance to spread his wings and to have the opportunity to fail and see his way through that failure. Never would have been given that kind of grace from the Cardinals. And I'm not saying that's the Cardinals' fault. It's a, it's a miss on, a, you know, being able to identify and support and develop talent, but It's kind of impossible to say, well, with our situation, we're trying to win every year. We can just let Yohane Ovidio go and assume that he's going to turn into a stud. You have to underlying say, no, here's what's going to make him great. and We're going to hold on to him for that reason. Kind of like they did with Nolan Gorman offensively. They say, well, people want us to trade him, but we think that he can do this, develop that, and be a stud. He's turned into that. Pitching development has been a sore subject for the Cardinals. Johan Oviedo is the latest example, and it may not be a a, a glaring one. We may look at him at the end of the year and go, okay, he was mediocre after all. He had a couple of good weeks, and we were fooled. But Sandy Alcantara was in that spot. On the St. Louis Cardinals of those teams, those years that were desperate to win, they were firing managers because they didn't, I don't think that Sandy Alcantara was going to get the chance to become Sandy Alcantara with the Cardinals. And that might be a black mark on their development and their ability to identify which guys to keep and get rid of. I totally hear you but i just don't know if they would have given him the latitude like a marlins a, a tanking marlins team could to say who cares what you do your ERA could be 9 you're still starting in 5 days because we suck doesn't matter he figured things out right he 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 was bucking the scouting report and doing things and and calling for pitches that they told him in st louis or what i i forget the exact story how it goes but there was like things that he was doing there was kind of fudging the numbers on his on his on his pitches and certain things so my point is, he had the latitude there to to fail, and he wouldn't have been able to in St. Louis. Zach Gallon would have been traded in some other deal because he was never going to crack the way the Cardinals viewed their top guys. And maybe that is the criticism, but the deal itself, like Arenado, is is a was born to be a Cardinal. So I wouldn't take back the Ozuna deal if it meant giving up the Arenado deal because they, I think he's a good fit, and I don't think the Cardinals ever would have gotten the most out of a Zach Gallon or a Sandy Alcantara. That's a maybe a lame excuse, but I, I do believe it. I, I don't think I'm just making that up. I, I feel in my heart that they would never have allowed those guys to become the pitchers that they are today. I think their careers are better for it because they were traded. And that's not to say the Cardinals' development team is just bunk and they're terrible, but look, I mean, look at the way those decisions get made. Think about a Jake Woodford. I don't know if Jake Woodford's a stud. He doesn't look like it right now, and they're giving him some latitude this year but it's like those tweener guys—the guys that are like you call Quad A, or he's a he's a six starter type, he's a fill-in, he's a swing man. Sandy Alcantara is not a swing man, but that's how he was viewed in St. Louis. Riddle me that—I can't figure it out. I'm, but it's not my job to develop and to, to identify that, so I'm off the hook on this one. But yeah, I mean that's just that's the way I look at it. Uh, Patrick is pissed. It's the same issues time and time again. The front office did not address the pitching issues. And it's blown up. Team looks lifeless. Ollie looks lost. And Mo is MIA. I think Mo, I've seen Mo. He's walking around. Um, I don't think Ollie is that lost, but I think he is getting frustrated because he can only put the pieces where they are. Like, you got to keep them on the chessboard, and And sometimes you don't have the, you, you know, you, you lose your uh, your bishops. I love the bishops in chess. Um, all you've got left to play with are some some rooks and some knights. And it's like, yep, that doesn't, how we go diagonal. We need to be a team that goes diagonal. And we can't. We don't have those pieces. So, I'll, there's only so much you could do. Um, the pitching's going to get better. That's my hot take. Is like a month from now, we won't be talking about the starting pitching being as big of a problem as we think it is today. Uh, but the offense has to find consistency. And then the defense, like the offense has to find consistency as the manager massages the daily lineup to make sure that the defense doesn't become a glaring issue in the outfield. That, I think, is going to be the challenge. Because they're going to say, well, we can't prioritize Carlson in the lineup because we need offense. But at the same time, if Alec Burleson's not giving you offense, if Jordan Walker's not giving you offense, you're like, ah, we're caught in the middle. I think that is almost going to turn into a more interesting conversation than the pitching. Two quality starts in a row. Don't look now, but maybe the pitching is going to get a little better, and I think Adam Wainwright's going to be fine when he comes up. And so you're talking about Miles Michaelis, who's got a track record. All he's got to do is continue to inch back toward uh, excuse me, back toward respectability. Uh, Steven Matz, I'm not as confident in, but he's done it before, so we'll see if he can do it again. I think it's going to end up being uh, that aspect of offense versus defense and the trade-off there, the decisions that are made that becomes almost more of a a compelling question than the rotation day to day. Chan the man, what's up, man? I asked this a few streams ago, but I want to reword it. Do you think the Cardinals have fallen for some snake oil salesmen that call themselves analytics guys, but not the right ones? I I and I, and I appreciate the question again. I still don't think that's the case. I think that like you look at the numbers and the underlying like the, the Alec Burleson thing. I could see how it could pan out. But at the end of the day, you put those guys out there, and then the players have to either exceed their expectations or fall short of them, and you've got six months to do it. And so I think the Cardinals analytically are, are sound enough. I'm not saying they're the Rays, but uh, you know, I, I think as a staff, they have a pretty decent idea. But at the same time, I think you could make the case that you know this is a staff that wanted Tyler O'Neill to play center field to begin the year. I thought that was a bad decision from day one. So I do find myself disagreeing with some more of their decisions than I expected. I would. Um, and, and maybe some of the things that they think analytically are as valuable as they are, they maybe are putting more weight on certain things than I would. That doesn't mean they're wrong and I'm right, but I, I I'm saying I'm finding little disagreements as times goes on. But Chandler, I think snake oil salesman, that's a, that's a couple of bridges too far. I would not, I would not go that far. Um, nor would I even say that their analytics staff is bad. I think if anything, Analytics is good because it just means information. Analytics equals information. Having more of it is better than less of it, but it is the way you use it at the end of the day, whether or not it's going to be effective. Uh, Stu would like to see the Cardinals win game one of a series. Let's start there. Yep. Ollie said after the Seattle game one that it wasn't something they look at. I think it should be something they look at. I think there should be an impetus on winning the first game of a series. Um, Yes, in a vacuum, if we're going to be robots about it, you just have to win every game. You want to win every game and If you go into each game with that mindset, you'll win more than you lose. That's great. But they do need to win game one because there is a mental aspect of that that will eventually creep into their thoughts if it has not already. You do wonder, Alex says, if perhaps the constant shuffling of guys in and out of the lineup messes with the offensive flow. But when you have your four home runs between Arnauto and Goldsmith, that's not great. Yeah, uh, the numbers are fine between uh, Goldsmith in particular. Like uh, he's hitting 277. That's a little lower than you expect. I'll go ahead and click on it so I can see his OPS. It's 828, which is lower than it was last year. It's lower than I think it'll be at the end of the season. But the home runs, the lack of power is beginning to get glaring. Because if you have those guys in the middle of your lineup that were MVP guys last year because they're both hitting 30 bombs, that's, you know, that's kind of where you want to be. But if that just goes away suddenly, the Cardinals do not have enough. And like I hate it's so weird because every day you go. Is somebody going to hit a home run today? Like, who's going to be the one to hit a home run today? You play bombs away on Twitter. Cardinals Gifts and C70 put that together, and it's like, man, I I correctly identified who the home run would be. That's a hard thing to do. The odds are stacked against every player on every given day to be able to hit a home run. But over the course of a season, Arnauto and goldspit they both do need to hit 25 to 30 of them for the Cardinals to be the kind of team that they should be. They both have two. It's, it's late enough into the season that it's a problem if they don't get the home runs going. It's so unfair to say, you need to hit more home runs because it's a hard thing to do. But for those guys, it, it isn't historically a hard thing to do. And so they need to figure it out. Arenado, the swing change thing, uh, I, I saw different people talking about it on Twitter, uh, keeping the top hand through the swing. It's it's maybe to establish the opposite field a little better. He's always been a power pull hitter. I Again, he is the professional athlete. He is the future Hall of Famer. Potentially I am not any of those things. So who am I to tell him he's doing the wrong thing by, by trying to tweak his swing. But I do think it looked pretty good last year when he finished third in the MVP race and He hit 30 home runs, if it ain't broke, et cetera. So that'll be interesting to see if the slump continues, if he sort of continues to, to tinker with that, but we know he always is chasing perfection. So that's an explanation there, but if it's costing him pull power you know, you, you want to be able to cater to your strengths if you're Arnauto or anybody. So be interested to see what happens there. They do. They need Arnauto and Goldschmidt to homers, uh, to hit home runs. They need Contreras to hit more home runs. That's the way they're built, man. That's just the reality of it. Uh, Brendan says Walker sat. Nice name, Brendan, by the way. And spelled correctly, too. I love it. Sat because it appears they're sitting him against pitchers with elite changeups. He sat against Castillo and Cobb, so that's the reason. It's a good reason. It's in the analytics, right? And I totally get it, and I'm fine with it. Um Obviously didn't work out today, but he could have gone zero for four just as easily as anybody else. So it's not like it's not like the end of the world that that was uh, the decision that was that was made there. I got to scroll up to make sure I'm not missing any comments. My goodness, you guys are all over it with the comments. Please subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so. Um, I hope to at least get a couple of new subs from uh, from doing one of these. Uh, let's be honest. Let's be serious, Brendan, No one is hitting right now. That's from Janelle. Yeah, consistently they're not. Did Brendan say the Cardinals are fourth in batting average? Brennan did say that because earlier today I looked it up and they totally were like, that was, that was a real number. I can look it up right now, but it'll probably have changed because MLB uh, will have updated. But yeah, as of earlier today, I am almost positive that I saw that now to me, batting average is not the most important stat to the St. Louis Cardinals offensively. Um, I like OPS better. I like OBP and slug individually better than I do batting average. But, yes, go to MLB.com. You'll even see, I believe it's updated after the bad day today, the Cardinals are still fourth in baseball in batting average. They're hitting 267. Only the Phillies, Cubs, and Rays have higher batting average this season than your St. Louis Cardinals. Riddle me that, man. Even when you look at OPS, which factors in OBP plus slugging percentage, they're seventh in baseball in OPS. Earlier today, they were fifth. So that did. They dropped a couple of spots there by getting shut out. Not a surprise. But, like, that's, they've been a good offense. They have not been a consistent offense. And people said, well, it's Jeff Albert, man. That's why they have the shutout days and the days where they score one or two. No, it's just, I think it's a collective thing with the lineup. They've got to be able to to limit the zeros and have more days where they score three and four instead of one and two. Like, turn the ones and twos into threes and fours, and then combine that with, hopefully, your pitching staff allowing only two or three on those days. That's the way you can steal more wins and win 100 games, but, it's easier said than done. That said, if it was easy everybody would do it. The Cardinals need to be able to do these things if they want to be considered one of the best teams. Right now, they're not doing those and, and you look at the record, they're not one of the best teams. Um, fourth in the entire organization? No, I I the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals are fourth in Major League Baseball in batting average. I don't care what Peoria and Memphis are doing, that's irrelevant. I'm talking about Major League Baseball. Um there are seven guys trying to prove they're Major League everyday starters. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, Nate mentions that they are fourth in, in average. It's weird, but I mean, that's what they've been this year. Nefarious says, hot take. We will win a World Series without a series opener. That would be a hot take, uh, Nefarious. That would be crazy. Hunter, good question. Gould just tweeted out. Cardinals trust Gorman to bat third now. When will he consistently face lefties? I would love to have that question answered. Yes. The other day I said it. It was the Mad Bum game against the guy who you're about to caused to be DFA, they still didn't trust him to bat there. That's talking about the analytics and the platoon stuff, but Nolan Gorman's a 22, 23-year-old player. I don't know when he turns 23. It may have already happened. But he is a young, young player who, like, the superstar of tomorrow, how does he become a superstar of tomorrow if you don't allow him the latitude to fail in certain situations, to learn through those situations? Nolan Gorman never becomes a superstar if he can't face lefties. He never becomes an everyday player at that point. The Cardinals are putting guys into boxes, and it's dangerous because it can harm harm their development. It, they've done it for years on the pitching side. We've talked about it already with the Alcantras uh, and the Zach Gallens not getting their shot here in St. Louis. Oviedo as well. Is it an easy answer on the pitching side? No, because you do. You can't have a month go by where a guy gets shelled five times in a row and you keep running him out there in St. Louis where you're trying to win a pennant every year. It doesn't work. But offensively, I think you could give Nolan Gorman some latitude and I think they should start to do that. Um, especially when you consider the alternatives are going to be Paul, DeYoung young for some second base slash DH at bats, um, Brennan Donovan, who's also left-handed, you know, so what's the difference there? It's a left on left situation, regardless of how you slice it. Um, Tommy Edmond's going to need to play against every lefty, but there's still second base in DH that you can account for. Like Burleson's not going to play on those days as a lefty anyway. Um, they can make it work if they want to, Hunter, is, is my answer there. Uh, long seasons, and there are long seasons, and I think we're stuck with the latter, unfortunately, says Stu. Uh, we'll see. Patrick hopes that the pessimism is wrong, but by the end of April, you see some signs of life in the clicking together. That isn't happening. Yeah, right now it's not clicking for sure, um, but they always come back after the break and go off. They could be a second-half team this year. We'll see. Patrick disagrees about Ollie. The decisions are 50-50 and questionable but the biggest issue is potentially how he handles the clubhouse. You'd think it sounds uh, toxic with him as of late. Uh, I think that's the O'Neill thing. Everybody's still kind of hearkening back to that. I don't think it's a toxic clubhouse, but I think it's a clubhouse that still needs to find its identity and maybe need to work through some things, have some more players-only meetings, have some more meetings where Ali Marmo, like, it's okay to have meetings. You, you can have your finger on the pulse of things if things aren't going well, but you also have to know how will my clubhouse respond to that. If I am too overbearing as a manager, Will they kind of take it in the other direction and resent me for it? I don't. I don't know the interpersonal answer to that question. Uh, CM thanks me for streaming on a tough night. You're welcome, CM. Make sure you sub, my man or a woman. I don't know gender based on CM. I can't tell what what who who what your name is, but appreciate you. Um, Janelle says I don't know what it is, but they always come back and are on fire late. Uh, I think we're talking about the all, after the All Star break still. And uh, Nate says that Ollie basically tipped his cap to cop rather than accepting that the Cardinals had their opportunities to win that game. You know what? He did that the other night, too. And I, I, I'll I, tell you when I disagree with Ollie. I think he is a great manager. I think he's, he's a little too passive on some of these things. You can't tell me that it was acceptable to only score three runs off of Castillo the other day the way that they had him on the ropes. No, that is an abject failure. I don't care how good he is against other teams, I don't care what they do. You can't look at it and go, well, three runs and seven hits. He repeated that line four or five times in the postgame. And every time I groaned, I'm like, Ollie, y'all had the bases load in the first inning. Tyler O'Neill strikes out, I think it was. You have to you have to deliver the knockout punch when you're given the chance. Th- these guys are too good. You let him off the hook, especially a star like Castillo, he is going to make you pay for it. And the fact that they only scored three runs against him, that allowed for the Michaelis trip up to happen in the middle innings, and then the bullpen coughed it up from there, and the Cardinals lost that game 5-4. to four. Tonight, you gave Alex Cobb too many opportunities. You can't always tip your cap. Your job, even if the other side is good, is to come through with runners in scoring position. I believe the stat was 0 for 6. That's where the game is lost. And you can lose games. Like, baseball, you play 162, the best of teams will lose 60. So you're going to have 60 nights of summer where your fans are bitching and pissed at you. That happens. But you need it only to be 60 or 70 to to make the playoffs. And uh, (laughs) the Cardinals are using up a lot of theirs early, let's say. J-Rose says that Ollie is a fantastic manager. The heat he's getting is unjustified, mostly. He hasn't managed himself out of a game. It's plain and simple, the execution on players' parts. I couldn't agree more than I agree with that. I agree. Completely agree. And we're talking about nitpicking Ollie's post-game comments, which don't matter. It doesn't count in the stat book. You might say it counts for, like, player morale and stuff like that, but the players aren't watching the post-game either. So the stuff really doesn't matter. It's more fodder for the media and the fans like th- then something that's actually going to impact the team on a, on a, on a legitimate level, but we're talking about it and we're doing so because the Cardinals are losing. And so we're going to hyperanalyze everything. I think Ollie is a good manager, a great manager. I think he is a top 10 manager in baseball. I truly believe that people are going to call me crazy. Hopefully by June or July, I can turn around and go, remember when I said that? Yeah. Um, Preston says it might be too late by the post-all-star game for them to bounce back. Yeah, you, you got to improve before June or July um, to make it work. Patrick said it should be both. When it comes to you tip your cap at, at getting beat by a good outing, but you also have to see how you didn't play well and I, and I think, too, where you could have done better. And they do those things, but it doesn't always come out in the post-game, which, again, that's a, a limited sample. The manager might just be trying to get through it. And so we shouldn't overly analyze everything he says because, again, it doesn't have an impact on the day-to-day or, like, the actual Ws or Ls on the team. But I get it. We talk about it, and we should. Uh, just keep it contextualized. Keep it uh, keep it appropriate. Lack of offense lost the Cardinals the game. Nefarious is correct about that. And Janelle says, you know what they say? You cannot win your division in April, but you sure can lose it. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the Pirates are not probably going to win the Central, but right now they look like they could, and uh, they're taking advantage of their chances while the Cardinals are not. Let's see, scrolling down here, um, Nate said he didn't hear the comment about the offensive opportunities, just kind of shrugged it off with the uh, Cobb performance. Yeah, Cobb was great. Like, we can acknowledge that, but the Cardinals' job is to be not better than Cobb, but to, to compete with him. Patrick says uh, that his handling of questions isn't good. Yeah, but that doesn't really matter. Like, I'm part of the media, so I want the questions to get have good answers, but it doesn't actually lead to wins or losses. And I'll say this, the stuff you don't see on TV, Ollie answers those questions really well. When the writers get a chance to go in his office and ask him, it's not off the record, it's all on the record, but it's like the audio is not going to go on Bally Sports Midwest, and so he can go into longer answers explaining things in a better way. That's why y'all should read the coverage too. Don't just watch or listen. Um, it's good. If if all the beat writers out there are writing stories, you're going to see things that you'd otherwise miss, so I recommend reading reading them all. And I don't travel on the road, so... Uh, by by all means, read their stories because they're going to have the insight that I won't on that kind of stuff. Uh, Preston says, I get his handling of questions, but Brendan is valid in these points about Ollie. Again, Ollie did not swing the bat. Yeah, he did not score zero runs. That was the, uh, the 0 for 6 by the wrist. That was the offense that did that. Um, the rhetoric from Nate is a problem with Ollie. All I hear when he talks to the media is a guy who was rolled over to let the season die. I never hear fire. I don't hear him caring about the outcomes. He cares about the outcomes more than you think. Um, and, it, and it, it does bother him, but he doesn't see the benefit, I think, on a nightly basis of showing it outwardly, right? He's going to go and stew about it in his office. He's going to make a game plan for tomorrow to try to make it better. Um, but the it, 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 by the way, too, watch these post games and actually watch for the body language and the context because there have been several times where he doesn't like a question because he does care about the outing, and as a media person, you feel like, well, damn, I just got, I just kind of got you know the side eye for Molly that happens all the time after losses just watch a little closer and I think you'll start to see it and notice it if that's what you're looking for um, because that is a sign while the media folks might say well why am I being thrown under the bus here it's a totally reasonable question that I asked it's it, you know he's a he's a human as well and so if he's upset about a certain something you might see that come out in the way he answers the question more so than what he says Uh consistent offense would be nice DB asks how many more how much more until we see personnel changes made? You won't. Like, during the season, you won't. They're not going to fire the hitting or the pitching coach. That just started. They're not going to fire Ollie Man- uh, Marmel. I mean, it, it, you might see player changes, but who are you going to go for? Who are you going to call up? Who are you going to trade for? Like, trades aren't happening in April. They're not happening in May. So, it's this is you're going to dance with who brung you, at least for a little while. Janelle doesn't respect the manager that rep- uh, preaches accountability all season publicly calls out the players for it but doesn't practice it when he preaches uh in his own shortcomings. Again, I think we're we're hyper analyzing the all these stuff a little bit right now, uh when I when I think it's disproportionate. So I don't want to keep talking about it too much because I don't think it's proportionate to the amount of impact that he has on the team relative to the guys playing. But there are a lot of fans who feel this way, so I get it. Jeff says, uh I don't well, I, I don't like I don't he didn't finish the sentence. I don't this group of players, I don't think this group of players, I think is what he meant likes and respects the leadership management on and off the field i don't I, I think that's um that's a that's a thought but i don't think there's a lot of basis to it um every individual player in a clubhouse might like or dislike a manager like or dislike a coach but there's no cohesive 26 man of how like all the roster feels about certain coaches i don't i just don't think you have that in sports there are too many differing personalities in there to have it be a collective thought about we don't like this manager we don't like like you can lose a clubhouse but i don't think that's what's happened here as of right now, Matthew, maybe they'll warm up with the weather. Here's to hoping that'd be nice. Um, Janelle does not understand the chip that Ollie has had on his shoulder. It seems like he's always pissed off. They're five below 500. They've lost 14 games and they've won nine. So he's been pissed off 14 times and he's been feeling good nine times. That's why it feels that way, because statistically he's been pissed off more than he hasn't been, uh, which is, a, again, another point to say that he does care. Uh, Scott says the World Series win's gonna be crazy. Yeah, imagine that, man. That'd be crazy. Uh, Jay uh, Jacob says that Trevor Plouffe, who is the Flaherty confidant, said offhanded in his podcast that riff in the clubhouse it was not good for them. So no bad Ollie decisions today, but he killed the mojo. Yeah. So if Flaherty is good with with Trevor Plouffe and is telling him like, yeah, the clubhouse isn't great, and if the riff with Tyler O'Neill has has worn on them, I could totally see that. It's definitely plausible. And what does it take to get around something like that? Winning ball games, Winning cures everything. And in the aftermath of that, the O'Neill thing may have happened weeks ago, but they haven't won games since then. And so that stink could still be lingering. It's not like they're everyday thinking, screw Ollie for the Tyler O'Neill thing. But they're like, ah, we're in a funk because we're not winning the games. And that was maybe a thing that soured them a little bit. I could see it. I'm um, trying to scroll down here. We've been going for over an hour. You guys have been wonderful. If, if you're still here and you have not subscribed to my channel, or like the stream, please do so. We're going to wrap things up, though, here in the next few minutes. Uh, Some conversations about Wainwright. Janelle says that somebody should rise to the occasion. Gabe loves the format and the content. Uh, Thank you, Gabe, and I love your name, Gabe. I named my son Gabe, so that's nice. He's almost eight months now. How about that? Uh, Bird calls. There's no identity continuity from one night to the next. Totally agree. That, That, to me, is the nail under the hammer of this entire thing. The lineup changes every night. No follow-through from one good night to the next. And I think the lineup changing is fine because I think there is some legitimate legitimacy to that when you think about platoons. The Rays, look how often they change the lineups. They they don't have any superstars. They win because they maximize platoon advantages. They've done it for years. Um, and it's working out for them this year as well. And I assume they're still doing the same thing because they always have. You look at their lineup and you go, I don't know who half of these guys are, but you guys are 20 wins and three losses, so you're doing something right. Their pitching, by the way, is ridiculous. That's really what carries the Rays. Um, but I get it. Like, I do think there needs to be identity. The the lineup doesn't have to be the same every day to find that identity, but you have to know kind of the style of team that y'all want to be. And right now they're caught in between. Jeff, if they lose 90, which is possible, and they draw three mil, ownership will be fine and motivated to change nothing. I don't know if I agree with that. If you lose 90, the second half is going to be ugly. They're not drawing three million if you lose 90. That's my prediction. They might say they drew three million, but I'll tell you, look, night after night in August and September, that ain't going to be a three million dollar season or pardon me, three million customer season because you're going to be in the ballpark. They can announce whatever they want. I I have eyes. (laughs) It won't be the case. Allison says, usually I have bought tickets by now for several games, but with the offense, I'm in no hurry. Side question. Best place to sit at Bush. I've always dreamed of the green seats. Honestly, I don't sit in the green seats a lot, but I, I walk around the ballpark. Um, I'm in the press box, which you can see everything from up there, and that's why I tell people for real: if you live near St. Louis, get the ballpark pass because for 35 or whatever bucks a month, you can go to every single game. Otani coming in May, you can go to all of those games. You just get yourself in the ballpark for 35 bucks a month. It's a great deal. And if I weren't covering the Cardinals and if I lived in St. Louis, I would just be getting that and I would walk in. If I had a weekday night where I was like, oh, I'm off of work, I did whatever, I'm walking into Bush in the fourth inning just because I can. That would be what I would do. And then you can sit anywhere you want because, well, right now, the ballpark's hardly ever full because the team's struggling. So um, I like the 300 sections personally on either the first base or the third base side. Don't go too far into left or right field, but I feel like 300, you're not up in the nosebleed. You're a little bit lower than the 400s. It's the same level of the stadium, so you're you're at the top level, but you don't have to walk up the stairs to do it. And at that part, I feel like you're high, but you can see everything because of your vantage point. That. Personally is the way that I like to go, um, but and it's cheaper too that way, but it is really cool to sit in the bleachers, man. You can sit right behind the bullpen and you can see Tyler O'Neill right there in left field like, I don't know, 50 feet from you. That's pretty neat as well um, for fans who like I, I think about it like I'm like, oh, he'll be in the clubhouse later. I'll be able to talk to him, but for fans that are just like I want uh, different vantage points and experiences. That's the way to go. You you get yourself in the bleachers and then the next time you go, you get up in the 300s down the third base line where you can see the entire field and the plays unfold in front of you. Uh but then the next time you're like, "Hey, we're going to spring for the 100s." Go down that first base line and and be behind the home dugout. Um you know, in in the in the 100s sections. Like there's no best place to sit. There are very few worst places to sit. Like it's a great ballpark that's got a lot of great vantage points Uh, i like walking around too if you're if you're a person who likes oh i'm gonna go to the budweiser bowtie bar and kind of take it in from a a bar seat there out in the outfield like there's a lot of cool places at bush um my recommendation to you would be sit somewhere different every time like experience some of the different places and that's the way you can find what you like the best uh janelle says but brendan for the comment made by bill a Wit three uh when he said we have when it comes to three million uh, I'm not totally sure exactly what that comment was, Janelle, but uh, sorry if I misunderstood it. Uh, Preston says, I know it's been mentioned, but the constant lineup change has to be effing uh, up the offensive flow uh, to the point that it's ruined the offense. Yeah. Why is it, though, that some teams are so good at being able to do it that way? Some teams uh, n- understand the platoon advantages. That might be a front office problem where you, as a front office, need to be able to communicate the reasoning to the manager, and all he knows, he's he's hip to the analytics the manager then, can he communicate it to the hitting staff and to the players in a way that allows them to internalize it and succeed with it? Maybe that's where some of the disconnect has been. I think they've got the capable people in charge to do that, but the res- the results are going to be what they are. Does that kind of mess with their flow to be in and out of the lineup so often? It's not like baseball people don't think about it in those terms the way they did 15 or 20 years ago, um, because that is absolutely in the Tony La Russa era, the way we said, it's like you can't be just changing the lineup every day because... Those guys need to know what to expect. Ball players in 2023 are a little bit different. They they're adaptable in that way, or they should be. Um, but it is fair to wonder like, is the communication happening to where the players understand? Here's your role, here's what we expect of you, here's the the challenges that we acknowledge are in that role. Like you might not play every day, here's how that could look. But here's where we need you to be ready for and 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 uh to be available for. Hopefully those things are being communicated effectively. Scott, I absolutely got waylaid for mentioning Carlson Soto story, uh, but with Arnaldo Goldie and other payroll monstrosity wasn't likely. Um, yeah, th- again, Carlson for Soto was not a thing, never was. Um, Carlson, the Cardinals were re- reluctant to put him in a Soto deal, but you wouldn't have gotten Soto for just Carlson. You're talking Wynn, Walker, Gorman, uh, two of those three at least, maybe all three, and and the the Nationals wanted a pitcher like Mackenzie Gore. The Cardinals didn't have a prospect on the pitching side like Mackenzie Gore. So you're going to have to overpay by a lot in terms of offensive players. So it wouldn't have just been Carlson for Soto. Uh, The Brewers lost today. That's nice for the Cardinals. And the Pirates are the best record in the National League. Did y'all see the edit that Talking Baseball put on Twitter of Goldschmidt in a Pirates jersey and said basically like, here's going to be the buyers and sellers at the deadline. I thought that was a hilarious troll. It's never going to happen, but that was funny. What kind of change do I think should be done to spark the team? I'll I'll repeat it. I think they need to try to steal more bases. I think they need to begin considering putting out their best defensive lineup. I would play Dylan Carlson in center field, and I would do it every day, at least for a little while. Lefty, righty, don't give a damn. I'd play him every day, not because I think it's automatically going to make the offense the best, but if you've got a pitching staff that you want to try to support because they've been struggling, I'm going to make sure my defense is ready to go i probably lean away from Burleson in the starting lineup for a little while unless it's a great matchup um, because he's kind of struggling a little bit, down to 250 as a, as a batting average and not a ton of power right now. I would play Jordan Walker every day if he's healthy for right now because if, if we believe in his talent the way that I think a lot of people do, it's going to show out the more you see of it, and I'm going to play him every day other than like a rest for a, a personal break. I'm, I'm feeling confident about doing that because I know I have Dylan Carlson in center field. I'm not sacrificing defense in right and center. I'm only doing it in right because I want to get the Walker bat into the lineup. And then I'm playing Newt Bar in left every day. Uh, so that means, Tyler O'Neill, you're going to be pinch running. You're going to be a late-inning defensive sub for Jordan Walker. And then Newt moves to right, and Tyler plays left in those situations. And Burleson is a lefty bat off the bench that we're going to use strategically. But after he bats... O'Neill goes in defensively for whoever's spot he took. That's kind of the idea. And I would run with that for a little bit. I do get it. Five outfielders for three spots makes it tough. But right now, I feel like you'd be a little bold and you say, here's the way we're going to roll with it, and we're going to try to stick with it for a little bit. They were happy to do that with the O'Neill thing in center at the beginning. Give, give Dylan Carlson that latitude. He can bat last for all I care. I know he's struggled. His offensive numbers have been bad. I'd play him every day. I'd tell him I'm going to play him every day. I'd say, Dylan, you're playing six games this week. Show us. Show us that you're you're the guy. Go take it. Because what's going to happen is Dylan Carlson's going to make some plays in center field. He's going to give the team that kind of spark. I'm going to start running more. I'm going to be super aggressive when I get a guy on first. Tommy Edmond, if he's on first base, he if you get three pitches into that next count, he has maybe attempted a stolen base already. Like every time he's on first base. Try to lead the team in steals. Remember when O'Neill and Edmund were saying, hey, we want to both see you can steal more bases? Where has that gone? Where is the aggressiveness gone? Is the skill level of the stolen base not as high as we thought it was for these guys? Because the rest of the league has said it's gotten better. It's gotten easier to steal bases. Pick the scouting reports, know what to do, study those things, know when to steal, but do it more aggressively. I would do those things, and I would try to be an identity around base running and defense, which are kind of niche overlooked parts of the game, but historically the Cardinals have been really good at them. So those are the things that I would do. I was asked the question. This is why I'm going on this speech. Brendan L said, what kind of change do you think should be done to spark the team? It ain't a trade because that's not happening. Wainwright's going to come back to the rotation. That might help. It's not like it's April. There's no trades being made. Those would be the strategic things I would do. And it might be crazy. You're like, Dylan Carlson offensively has been one of the worst players on the team. Yeah, but he's not gotten the latitude that some of these other guys have had. And those guys are struggling too. I'd play Dylan Carlson and I play him in center field every day for two weeks. I, it was a week and now I just made it two. He can, he can, when it's a tough matchup for him specifically, that's when you give him his day off for the week. But I would play him a ton and I would establish myself as we're going to support our pitchers by having our our defensive center fielder in there. We're going to give him some latitude, the same we've gave to O'Neill. I don't know why O'Neill deserves it and, and Dylan doesn't. I've seen O'Neill dog in it more than I've seen O'Neill dog in it, or my, than Carlson. And it's not to say that O'Neill is a dog, he's not. But it's, you know, I could pick out two or three instances during the season where I go, what's going on there with Tyler? Tyler's speed and ability is elite, and the Cardinals were trying to manifest that into him being a regular and becoming a star for them. The offensive numbers are kind of so-so right now. And so he'll play. He'll get his playing time, pick his spots to start him. I'd play more Dylan Carlson. I would build my team a little bit more Oriented towards speed, base not speed, but base running and defensive uh, sturdiness, and I would try to try to see what works there for a little bit. I'm a dummy; I could be totally wrong. The Cardinals are saying basically it's April, so we want to lean all the way into the analytics of what the the stat cast tells us, and we're going to run our team that way. I think they've lost maybe a little bit of the just like the vibe. It sounds so stupid, but like the vibe has not been matched to kind of the way they want to go about it. So that's sort of that's what I would do. Any worries about Jordan Walker? None. I want to play I want to see him play every day and then we'll worry about it if a month goes by and he's terrible. Who do you think goes down when Wainwright comes up? Great question. It may depend on how Woodford does tomorrow. Because um like if he looks good, then you should keep him in the bullpen. I don't think you can send down Verhagen. I don't know that you would after just like two bad outings, but it's a fair question, man. It's a fair question. I'm going to say right now, Woodford, because I don't have a better answer. There will probably be a pitching injury that happens that'll that'll allow it. And oh, Andre Palante should be up with the team anyway. So I would I would bring Wayne right up. I would probably send Woodford down. So he's still there for starting depth. That's not fair to him. He's been he's been put through the ringer, but that's what I would do. And if you've got another injury or a move you want to make, Pallante gets the call back up for Romero or whoever. Because Pallante should be on this team. It's ridiculous. Hunter, no more questions from me, but I salute you for doing this until 1230. Here's what y'all need to know about B-Shape Daily. I'm sitting at my computer every night at this time anyway, whether it's live or not. So I might as well be live with you guys because this is when I record. Um, This is the longest episode of B-Shape Daily ever done. So congrats to y'all for being here for it. If you like my stuff and you think, man, Look at the commitment of that guy. That's great. The way you can help me out and maybe make this more of a uh, a worthwhile endeavor for me in the future is subscribe on YouTube. Always like the streams. Always comment on YouTube. Check out the content. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts as well is uh, where you should subscribe. It's B-Shape Daily on those platforms. And that helps me out a lot. Give me one second. Hopefully the microphone turned down so you miss that. When I talk for 90 minutes straight, believe it or not eventually I need some water my voice starts to go uh this has been crazy though guys I appreciate it I can't believe it if I didn't known it was going to be like this um at 11 o'clock 11.10 11, when we started I would have done some of these uh during the Seattle series after the game I had no idea Michael says that Nolan Gorman is rising he sure is um I had asked Stuart had asked about Jordan Walker no I, I'm not worried he's 20 years old right he's still not even 21. So it's going to be one of those things that um, progression is not always linear. You expect a young player to go like this, right, to rise up. It doesn't always work that way. It's kind of like this, right? You think over the course of time, the the arrow will point up, but it's not always linear. And uh, certainly when he's not in the lineup, it's hard for him to do anything. I think Jordan Walker will be fine. Thoughts on only hosting the Cubs for one series at Bush? That's something that I should talk about for an hour. I'm not going to tonight, but ask it again, Allison, on a later stream because I will go off about it. It's dumb. MLB screwed the Cardinals and Cubs. You would never do it to the Dodgers and Giants to not have them play at all in September. You'd never do it to the Yankees and Red Sox to not have them play a series in September. Why don't the Cardinals and Cubs play in September? I get it that the Cubs come to Bush only once because the Cardinals and Cubs get to go to London, um, but that's not a good enough excuse. They screwed. MLB screwed the Cardinals and Cubs in that rivalry uh, with the way that the the games were broken out. But ask it again, Allison, in another time. I'll go off for like 10 minutes about it. Uh, the ballpark pass sounds great if you live close. Allison says they're about a two-hour 45 away. Um, so, yeah, that maybe then it's probably not as worthwhile. Um, Let's see. I'm looking through here, guys. I did my best. Allison wonders about John Brebby starting tomorrow for San Francisco. I assume he's the opener, right? He's not going to go five innings. It's probably like one or two innings. Um, but yeah he's he he was somebody that I thought maybe the Cardinals should keep but when he had Tommy John they just didn't want to pay him like the million and a half that year so they didn't and uh yeah a Rosa arena yeah similar. we can do a Rosa arena another night Scott no offense I am I gotta wrap this thing up at 90 minutes or so uh Jacob says the relievers aren't stranding the runners they inherit from the starters recently making the starters look worse than they are it was Matts, Jack Monty. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. Like sometimes it's the starter falling apart in the sixth, like Miles Michael's giving up the homer the other day. But sometimes it's the relievers and the, the runs are charged to the starters. That's such an interesting point. And so it goes back to identity. Is your team identity going to be around relievers just getting the job done? Right now the relievers have been fine, but inherited runners has been an issue in particular. That's a great point. Uh, this will be the last question that I, that I go for here, and then we'll wrap it up. Scott says, what exactly has DeYoung done to deserve to di- displace Edmund at short? Always getting paid. Yeah, that's why we play guys that, that way. Um, I, honestly, I think, again, and I've, I've addressed it a couple of times, I think DeYoung, they were just trying to keep him comfortable to say, hey, he looked great on Sunday. Can we keep him in that spot? Edmund has won a gold glove at second. He is mentally strong. We'll just make the move. It backfired a little bit, but fellas, ladies, they don't win this game regardless of the Edmund error because they didn't score. Can't win if you don't score, and that is where I'll wrap things up uh, for this edition of B-Shape Daily Life. Thank you guys so much for listening. Before you leave, give it a like, give it a subscription on the channel, and uh, we'll do some more of these this week. Even though it's late, it's clear that you guys are able to to stay up with me, so I appreciate that. And uh, this will be on Spotify tomorrow. If you want to revisit it, you can always revisit the YouTube video as well. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you next time on B Shave Daily Live. Peace.